we are in Luke. Luke. Yeah, I remember. I'm looking at my iPad here. I better remember. Luke chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this morning. Luke chapter 8. Thank you, Laura, for reading our scripture lesson, verse 16 through verse 21, is where we find ourselves this morning. But what I want us to notice first and foremost in this text uh, is the context. Um, if you notice in your Bibles, if you turn and if you have a Bible app or whatever, but if you turn to Luke chapter 8 verse 4 is really where this, this section begins. Luke chapter 8 verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, that's Jesus, he said in a parable. So this, this section this morning is a continuation of the parable that Jesus taught this crowd that was gathering. And the same time which he says to his disciples... Uh, verse 9, when asked what the parable meant, he taught the parable, uh, verse 10 of chapter 8, he says to you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And the parable Jesus taught is a well-known parable known, uh, goes by the name, usually by the parable of the sower. We saw that last week. Pastor Ricky did a great job bringing application to the really the interpretation Jesus gives us about the parable in verses 11 through 15. And, and I told, and personally, I, I told Pastor Ricky this, this week how I just appreciated how he scattered the gospel throughout the sermon, but also how he made it clear that God is the one who prepares the heart for the seed that's being sown. And that we shouldn't just sit back and go, yeah, I must be that soil, I must be that soil. But we ought to, to seek the God of the harvest and ask God to, to till our hearts, to get it ready to receive his word. And if you may be here this morning and you need a, a heart tilled, you need a, a, a softened heart so God can spread his seed, cause it to grow. Jesus said in this parable that the seed is the word of God. Ricky said last week, and he's right, and he said, the word is the revelation of who God is. We're not left as orphans. God has shown us who he is through his word. And it's also the reality of the kingdom. We've been talking about that. That the truth that Jesus Christ has come to inaugurate or to establish his kingdom and how his kingly authority and power has been manifested throughout Luke's account of Jesus, who is the gospel. That's his name. His name is Jesus He'd been declaring and demonstrating the gospel throughout his ministry. In fact, he said back in chapter 4 to the people in Capernaum who, who said, hey, stay with us. We, we want this healing power to stay in our community. Jesus said, I can't stay with y'all. I have to go. He said, chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To other towns as well, I was sent for this purpose. I'm here to proclaim the king has come. And the king is here. His name is Jesus. So we remember the kingdom of God. We talk about kingdom of God. Remember, the first thing we think about is the king of the kingdom. And also we must remember that the kingdom of God, because Jesus came already, the king came, is what they say, the kingdom is already and not yet. It's already because King Jesus has come. He died. He rose. He reigns and rules over his people, reigns and rules over the nations. But it has not yet because it has not been fully consummated. He's coming back to return. And now his healing and his, and his as rising people from the dead and healing illnesses and touching the lepers and bringing cleansing uh, uh, sinners, 
all that is a foreshadow of the coming kingdom where there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more disease, there'll be no uncleanness, there'll be no dead people, everyone will be alive forevermore. It's a shadow of the consummation of Jesus. King Jesus come, he's showing forth the kingdom. That's, that's, the, that's what he's doing. And, and the sower of the seed, as, as we saw the parable last week, uh, its immediate context is Jesus. He's preaching the kingdom. He's declaring the word of God. He's revealing himself. He's calling people to repentance and belief. But, it's for, but as was mentioned last week, it's also for everyone and anyone who is who's demonstrating and declaring the good news of the gospel. Jesus said there are four types of soils, if you remember really quickly, and four responses to soils. If you look at that parable in chapter 8, you see when the gospel seed is sown on the path, it doesn't take root in the heart. There are people, look, notice what it says, they hear the gospel, but it's taken away, the seed's taken away by the devil. No genuine conversion has taken place. The second seed has been sown, is sown on rocky soil, or a rocky heart. They, they heard the gospel, again, they're hearing the gospel, but it doesn't last because it has no root. It shoots up with joy, but a time of testing kills the, kills the plant. Again, no genuine conversion. The third gospel seed being sown among the thorns. Again, they hear, know each one of them, they're hearing the word. You'll know why I'm saying this in a minute. They hear the word of the gospel being preached. They, 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 they hear what God is saying, but it gets choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And again, no genuine conversion. The fourth soil, look at verse 15 of chapter 8, the very last verse from last week. As for that in the good soil, they are those, again, hearing the word, but hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There's genuine conversion on the fourth heart that the, sown, the seed was sown, the word of God. Now what Jesus is doing in verse 16 is he's taking this parable now and he's instructing his disciples his genuine converted disciples on what they are to do with the gospel that had been sown in their heart on good soil and has been planted and now growing in good soil and producing fruit with patience. Now what is what this text is teaching us? So we'll look at this text as to what gospel fruit-bearing disciples look like and what they are to do as followers of Christ. Now, I spent a lot of time on these three headings. Just kidding. That's all I got. Light, listen, live. Light, listen, live. Verse 16. Jesus makes a point that's, you know, everyone understood, right? No one in their right mind lights a lamp, covers it, under a jar, puts it under a bed, but rather would take the lamp, use it for what it's supposed to be used for, place it on a stand so that those who may enter in may see what is going on, right? That's the point. The lamps in Jesus' days were made of clay. Uh, I don't know what you were thinking of, you know, 21st century, but they were clay approximately three to four inches wide, two inches high, six inches long. They had a spout. In fact, that's what it looks like um, with a floating wick. They would fill the hole in the hole there in the center and have a floating wick on the end and they would light the candle um, and, and burn the oil. Usually the, the candles, from what I read, would be lit in the evening and would stay lit all night long, right? Remember, there's no artificial light. They didn't have a cell phone, no, no, you know, no light 
Can't flip on a switch. Can't even imagine that, right? I mean, we go out of power for like an hour. I'm like, I'm walking by, I'm opening switches. I'm like, yeah, there's no switch. I'm just keep turning switches, right? So Jesus said, how foolish it would be to, to get your lamp trimmed, your wick clipped, fill it with oil, and then cover it so no one sees it. That's what he's saying. Now, I don't want you to miss the, the first uh, implication of this text, okay? I don't want you to miss the first implication of this text. And it's simply this. When the gospel seed, now listen, when the gospel seed has been planted by God in the good soil, our identity has changed. Right? That's why we read in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught about lamps and light and throughout his ministry. Not just once, that's what a good preacher does, mentions several times. In the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says about light and, and keeping the light lit. Verse 14 of chapter 5. You are, I want you to catch that. You are, talking to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Not maybe, you are. Whether it's good or whether it's dim or it's hidden is one thing, but you are the light of the world. That's who you are as God's people. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, is what we see here, but on a stand to give lights to everyone in the house. In the same way, verse 16 of chapter 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is where? In heaven. This parable then instructs believers, the followers of Christ, that we are to identify with Jesus as he shines his light in us, as he shines his light through us. That's who we are. Scripture teaches us, though, that we are in a world filled with darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the Shekinah glory. Of the Old Testament. And now he says that each believer is like a small candle who's lit by the torch of Jesus, who is the light of the world. His point is that we must let the light that is in us shine forth to illuminate the light of God to others. And, and by the grace of God, we are to humbly carry our light into the world, take it to work, take it to school, into your neighborhoods, your baseball fields, wherever it is that God has placed you to be a missionary in a dark world. In other words, to be on mission with God who's seeking, saving lost people, right? So a missionary is someone who, who takes the, uh, the light of God, the truth of the gospel in a particular, listen, cultural context. We don't live 40 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. We live today in today's world. The gospel remains the same. We are to bring it into the context in which we are living. And we are to be light. We are to illuminate the person and work of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave. He sent the Holy Spirit who is the presence of the light, the life and the love of God in us. And he's saying, listen, uh, disciples, followers, exhorting them, not, don't know to hide or quench the light of the gospel, but to shine your new identity into the world. Now, if you remember, if we go back to chapter 1, Zechariah, which was John the Baptist's father, when he prophesied in chapter 1, verse 79, he said that Jesus coming into the world was a light to those who sit in darkness. The next chapter, Simeon was in the temple waiting. The Holy Spirit said, you will see the constellation of Israel before you die. And he sees Jesus, and he says that Jesus was a light for the revelation to the Gentile. In other words, he would illuminate the truth of who God is to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The people are God, are the lights of the world in a dark place, showing the way to God. The Holy Spirit is in me. I am in Christ. That is my new identity, and I get to be a light in a dark world. 
and you know, most of you have been here, uh, or at least have been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time, you can't help but think of one song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Hide around the bushel? No. Let Satan blow it out? No. Corny song, but biblical. Although at family, we know at times the light of the gospel is not going to be received in a dark world, don't we? Verse 10, Jesus said in chapter 8 that the parable of the soul will be a mystery to some. They're not going to have ears, but they're not going to hear. They're not going to perceive it. The disciples had the privilege to understand, while outsiders, those who have not been converted, those who are outside the family of God, are unable to see its truth. The Apostle Paul wrote something very similar to that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, listen what Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth. He says that the God of this world, small g, talking about the enemy, Satan, de- the devil, the enemy, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Okay, blinded them for what purpose? To keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel the light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give, listen, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is it? In the face of Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. So, So the story here really is that Jesus Christ tells us we are to be lights, to shine his truth. The world is filled with darkness, sin, and temptation, and rebellion, lies, and half-truths. It doesn't know God, love God, seek God, or treasure God. The world's in darkness. Jesus is light of the world. And Jesus, our great God and Savior, comes into a dark world and shines his light. And we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. To illuminate, to shine forth the truth of the gospel. And also, listen, not only, not only is the gospel the light, uh, 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 not only is Christ the light of the gospel, the truth of who God is, but listen, look at verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will be that will not be known and come to light. It reveals how things are. Notice the parallelism. Hidden, secret, manifest, come to know the light, right? So the word of God shows the way and brings to light the secret things in the hearts of men and women. Whether we realize it or not, the word of God shines and exposes darkness. When Jesus, who is the light of the world, the truth comes into the world, it exposes ourselves, exposes people for who we truly are. And when the light comes into the world, judgment happens. It just does. When the light of Christ shines, you either see your sin and and run and and come to Jesus, or like a bug, right, in, in a dark basement where light goes on, you run away. You don't know who you are until Jesus shines the light in your heart. That's why people scatter. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his or her deeds may not be exposed. But everyone or anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be known 
should be, excuse me, the works may be shown to be accomplished, accomplished by God. It means that people are not just judged merely because they have not accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, but also because they actually run and prefer darkness and sin. The light comes on, but they turn from it. It's not just, it's not just intellectual, it's moral, it's spiritual blindness that even Paul spoke about. You see, in a world that is governed by an all-seeing, all-knowing God, nothing is hidden forever. Where their sin is, God will expose it. That's part of the function of light, right? That where there's error, he illuminates and shows it to be false. And the secrets of our hearts, the very things that, that are hidden, the very dark things of this world that people think will never come into view, will come into view. All darkness will be brought to light. Rather scary. Skeletons, we all have them. And, but this verse tells us not that, that, that which is in darkness will not be kept secret forever. Not only is the truth of the gospel known, but the truth about me is known. The truth about you is known. Everything concealed, God said, will be revealed, especially in the consummation of the kingdom. When we sin, and, and I say we, we think we do it and no one's watching. That's what sin does. It hides. Scripture tells us that God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil, into judgment, Ecclesiastes. It also describes the final judgment when God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 2. Not good news for those who won't repent, who are living in sin, because the word of God tells us, listen, we are all by nature the children not of light but of darkness but of darkness. We, are, we by nature prefer the darkness to the light because our deeds are evil. That's in our natural selves. That's why we choose darkness rather than the light. But when God comes and, and the light of Christ is shown in our hearts, we're called to be people of the light. People have received the truth of God. People have commissioned to proclaim the truth of God in love and let it be known. And I think sometimes we, we talk about truth, we talk about error, uh, we want to really keep it on what's biblically true and, and biblical error. We, we tend to see, especially in our culture, in our time, um, more on a, on a political level, we get, we get political and start proclaiming God's truth, but we need to be very careful that we're, we're sticking with scriptures. I have many conversations with you about this. I may have political views that you don't have, but, but we, what we have to do is hold to this truth together as God's people, Right? There are, a lot of, there, there, are, there are plenty of biblical truths that we need to illuminate in our culture and in our day. Amen? I mean, we've got a whole month of it this month. Seeing sin celebrated. Our opposition against it is seen as being hateful. And I'm assuming nobody hates but in this room, Right? But, but it's seen as hateful because what? The light's turned on and people are scurrying. They hate the light. We need to be kind. We need to be loving. We need to recognize our own sinfulness, all that stuff. But we are not going to not shine the light. That's who we are. That's who we are. But most importantly, even more than what's going on, even from biblical truth, uh, is the centrality of the biblical truth, which is Jesus Christ. That's more, most important, Right? 
uh, contextually, uh, I think she's talking about how does a person come into the kingdom of God? How does a person become saved? How does a person become born again? How does a person have their sins forgiven? The truth and error of that most, of, of that, 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 that truth, I should say, is utmost important. It's eternal. That is the question this morning because some of our families, and I speak for myself, don't want to hear about Jesus, but i got to find the way to shine the light. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, co- uh, school, people who you're in school with, roommates, don't want to hear about Jesus, but they need him. He's the way of salvation, the only way of salvation. So the question for us this morning, are, are we going to conceal and cover or hide our light? Or are we going to be open and honest and authentic and loving and shine our light? That's the question for us this morning. We hear it all the time, right? Oh, you Christians, yeah, I, oh, you accept Jesus Christ, you believe the Bible. I mean, if that works for you, that's cool. You know, that, that, that's good. I'm glad it works for you. And Jesus would say, you know what? Don't, don't, don't hide the light. <laughs> I lit the candle so you can go into the darkness. I lit the candle so that you can attract people and speak of my goodness and my mercy and my redemption. Does, don't answer this out loud. You can talk about it in your community groups. Does everyone in your close proximity, work, neighbors, school, wherever you're at, you know, the people you run into day by day, do they know that you're a follower of Jesus and you believe the Bible? It's a good question. Or are you like one way at work and one way, you know, in church? And I'm not talking about being an idiot at work, right? Not doing your job handing out tracts. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Obnoxious. You're hardworking, you do your job, but they know that you're a follower of Jesus. You stick to Scripture, you hold to the Word of God. Your light is shining. That's what I'm talking about. If not, are you ashamed? That's what Jesus, Jesus would say. Are you ashamed of me? And you're not wanting to suffer for me when the truth is, I'm the one that should be ashamed of you, but I suffered in your place. I died as your atonement for sin. I rose from the grave. I, I've sealed you for the day of redemption. I've loved you eternally. I've brought you into the kingdom. Go and shine the light. Go and shine the light in love. Verse 18 not only shining the light, but we ought to listen. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. Now the word hear, hearing, or heard is all over the text. From verses 8 through 21, I counted nine times that word, acuo. It means to be able to hear, to pay attention, to understand, to listen. Okay, that's why I got the word listen. You can translate that Greek word to the word listen. I like that word listen better, especially in our cultural context. If you look up the word, our English word for hearing, Webster says this. Hearing is the process, function, or power, the power of perceiving sound. Specifically, the sense by which noises, tones are received. In other words, I hear something. I, I'm hearing you. The word listening, on the other hand, listen what it means. To hear something, this is more of what the Greek word means. To hear something with thoughtful attention and to give consideration. And every married couple would say, I know the difference. <laughs> right? There are times my wife would come up to me and say, you weren't listening very well, were you? And I'm thinking, that's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> Some of you get that on the way home. Um, 
the warning is to, to take care, to hear, to listen carefully, not in a superficial uh, attentiveness, but engaged, weighted, pondered. He said the gospel of the kingdom of God is not something that we should take lightly. Uh, its reception depends on us listening, attentively, learning, and, and receiving. Family, there's a lot of voices. There are a lot of voices today who want to lure us away from the truth, from the light, from the gospel. There are so many things that pull us away, that are trying to pull us away from our affections to Christ. There are so many things that are trying to listen. There are so many things that are trying to change or to get us away from or to run from a biblical worldview. They want us to believe their worldview. So true. He says, take care. Have, have, have the mind of Christ. Have the mission of Christ. And then look what he says. Take care. For to one who has more will be given, and to the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. In other words, the indication here seems to be that those who respond spiritually to the word or heed to the word, receive it, will continue to grow more spiritually to get a blessing and the insight of the word while those who do not take the word seriously, do not receive the word, will eventually lose whatever they think they might have. Okay? When it comes to spiritual knowledge, spiritual sanctification, what he's saying is the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Proverbs 9 Verse 9, 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser, or he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. In other words, the degree which one hears, listens, and pays attention to the word of God, to the extension that he allows the kingdom, the gospel, to take root, that preaching the gospel to yourself day by day will determine the measure of our growth and our sanctification and our understanding of the revelation of God. And when Jesus says, you know, more will be given, obviously, let's not pull this out of context and say, yeah, I'm going to get me a new Mercedes Benz. That's not what he's talking about. Not money, wealth, or possession, but rather, again, the revelation of God, the kingdom of God, the, the gospel itself will take deeper root in one's heart. The person who listens carefully to God's word understands it more clearly, but the person who does not pay heed to it does not pay attention to it, although here's the word, will lose even that in which they think they have. That's what, just very simply, right? Careful hearing, careful heeding will result in greater understanding of the word of God and the gospel. Careless hearing, careless or lack of heeding God's word results in the loss of what you've heard already. And Jesus is urging his disciples here and us this morning, be careful of who and how you listen you're paying attention to, attention to, who's forming your worldview. The stakes are high. The stakes are eternal. Again, nine times, listen, 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 or hear, hear, hear. So let me ask you this question. Again, share it in your community groups. Let me ask, are you shining your light? Are you taking opportunities to declare and demonstrate the gospel? Are you honoring and treasuring the word of God? Really listening and understanding to, the God, to God's word. Do you read it for yourself? Are you involved in a community group? Where we're living life together. We're sharing the scriptures together. We're building uh, the word of God. And, we're, and we're, we're learning about the word of God together. 
Standing up in faith together. Here's another good question. What, what goes on on a Sunday morning? Are you prepared or do you prepare Saturday night, Sunday morning to hear the word of God preached? So, or maybe you have an oh-hum attitude. Let me just get this over with. Listen, despite what people may say or what they may teach, God's word preached on Sunday morning undergirds and nourishes all the work of the church and builds up the people of God. Calvin said that where the word is not preached and heard, there is no church. It is vital to the forming and the transforming of God's people. So how can we do a better job listening, heeding, responding, understanding the word of God? How can we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. This man you might have heard from, his name is George Whitfield, 18th century preacher. And he has six things you can do to listen to a sermon better, to come prepared more on Sunday morning. You can find this on monergism.com. Let me give them to you. Number one, come to hear the preacher, them, not out of curiosity, but from a sincere desire to know and to do your duty. Not in the sense of, oh, I just let me get this over with, but understanding that God has so ordained the preaching of his word, the obligation to come together on a Sunday morning to hear it preached, that's the method in which he is transforming and conforming his people. So we come, not out of curiosity, but a sincere desire to know and to do what God has commanded us to do. Number two, give diligent heed to the things that are spoken from the word of God. If you were to get a letter or some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, important news report, or maybe it was some sort of you know, um, uh, obligation that was life or death, a royal proclamation, would you be interested? Of course you would be. Of course you would be. You, you'd want to know, you would want to know, eagerly know how, 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 how to hear and respond to this message. How much more when God has come and gathered and we are reading his word. What kind of attention would we give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as his word is being proclaimed in his name? How we can be pardoned and forgiven how we can have his peace, love, and joy, right? Are, are, are we paying attention? Are we heeding diligently? And some of you here, maybe this morning, you have iPhones and iPads, and you, you're looking at your scripture on a, an app. Well, that's good as long as you're not checking Amazon. <laughs> Posting Facebook, Instagram, and checking the weather. That would be a problem. We're easily distracted people. I'm not just saying that for myself. Number three, do not entertain even the least prejudice against the minister. Don't come in and say, that guy got a tattoo. I ain't listening. <laughs> you know, oh, you know what? He said that again. I just don't, you know what? I'm done. Let me ask you, let me, tell, let me burst your bubble. If you had to stand up here for an hour every week, there were some things you'd say, I'd go, you know what? That's stupid too. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Take what's helpful, spit out the bones. What am I going to tell you? Number four, be careful not to bend too much on a preacher or think more highly of him than you ought to. Now, that's easy one. But sometimes we get caught up, and I see this. Sometimes we get caught up, and, and I could go that route, right? I got one preacher. Billy will tell you. Oh, John Piper again. You know, it's like sometimes we get so caught up that we're listening to one man, one voice, one tribe, and not good. We have to be open to what God is saying through 
other people as well. Number five, make a particular application to your own hearts of everything that is delivered. Okay? Man, I sure hope my wife got that point. I'm going to write it on the kitchen table for her. I hope he's listening. I can't wait to community group. You know, you know. We, I hope they're listening. No, no, it's God. What, as, I, as, I, as I enter in to hear the preaching of your word, what is it you're saying to me? How, what, is, what are you saying? What do you have for me? What truth do I need to stand on? What sin do I need to repent of? Where do I need to serve? What do I need to give? What are you saying to me? First and foremost, so come to hear with a sincere desire. Give diligent heed to the word. Do not entertain prejudice. Be careful. Depend not too much on a preacher. Make particular application. And last, pray. Pray to the Lord before, during, and after every sermon. So, you know, this is kind of selfish, I guess, but pray for the pastors as we prepare throughout the week and get ready to preach on Sunday morning. Pray for yourself that you would be ready to receive what God has to say to you from his word. Pray as we even, during the week, if you have a moment to pray that as we study the scriptures, that we will deliver the word of God as best as we can. Pray that the Holy Spirit empowers me, Ricky, Chris, Billy, whoever's preaching, Perry, that we would, we would hear from God. We would, really, we would preach the word um, with you know, in and out of season. Pray during the week. Pray as you come on Sunday morning. Those are the things that we can do to take heed to what God is saying to us through his word. Um, again, we're, we're distracted people. We have different messages coming from different places trying to, trying to form our worldview and God is saying, no, follow me. Have my word in your heart that you may not sin against me. And let's be honest, again, we, we, are, we are very distracted. Messages from all over the place. Messages about life messages about success what does it mean to have hope and joy that that how can we find rest and peace our anxiety what we, all that comes from the scriptures taking heed to the word being secure in god's word leaning on him loving him having him care and 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 uh, just speaking true to our souls rather than being tossed to and fro as the, as the scripture says of the world listening to the word and when we're listening Lewis says god's going to give us more Okay? Now, before we move on to this last point, let me ask you this question. How do you know if someone's really listening, someone's really heeding, someone's really hearing, giving weight to what is being said? How do you know? Well, if, 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 if my wife sends me to the store and she says to me, look, get some oranges, tomatoes, and pick up some hamburgers, and I come back with pizza and potato chips and, and soda, all right, you could tell they weren't listening. Or you tell little Johnny or little, my, your little son or grandson, whoever, pick up your clothes and put your toys back in the box. Simple. How do you know whether they listened? Yeah, just go to the room. They may have heard you, blah, 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 but they ain't listen. Why? Because the more we do, the more we learn, the more, and the more we're being told and do, the more we'll grow. It has to do with obedience. We know we're listening. We know we're heeding. We know we're responding in a way that God wants us to is when we are doing what God has commanded us to do. Right? So we're actually letting our light shine 
We're sharing and understanding the gospel more and more and more. We get to serve and give of your time and your money. You're actually learning and growing to lean upon the Lord that everything belongs to him and everything is for his glory. See how that works. Really listening will show itself how? By, by living a life. Last point. Verse 19. Now, if you look at verse 19 uh, through 21, uh, it seems like, I don't know, it, seemed, it could seem like this narrative is a little bit out of place. Like, okay, all of a sudden his mom and dad, you know, his mom and his brother show up. But actually, and Luke does this wonderfully throughout the gospel account, his gospel account, when he's reinforcing the truth that you let the gospel light shine, when you let the gospel light shine and you listen and you heed the gospel, it will lead to a life of obedience. The point he makes is rather simple. As we shine our light and listen and do what Jesus says, we will show ourselves to be children of God. That's the point. Now, with all due respect to my Roman Catholic friends, Mary, Jesus' mom, had other children. I don't know what you were told. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that Mary was sinless or that she was this perpetual virgin married to Joseph. Actually, that would be a sin. Just ask Joseph. But anyway, she had several children. Matthew chapter 12, John chapter 2, we learn from Mark 6 that Jesus not only had brothers, as we see here, but he also had sisters. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, it actually says, and I'm not making this up, you can look at it later, as Jesus was preaching and teaching throughout the towns and villages, his family, mom, brothers, and sisters, came, listen to what it says, to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. They had not yet come to faith. They will. His half-brother Jude and, and James wrote books of the Bible. Mary, of course, they'll come to faith. But early in his ministry, they were afraid he was out of his mind. The Roman Catholic Church teaches verses like this. Either, either Jesus is talking about everybody's my brother and sister. Or many times they'll say that um, that word could be used for, for cousins or they were Joseph's children, but look at the text, right? Look at the text. Look at verse 20, 19. Then his mother and who, talking about Jesus, his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd, okay? And Jesus was told, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, who? The, the crowd, the disciples. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What's the point? You see, there's difference between, uh, just, just for one second, if you just give me one second. There's a difference between exegetical preaching, where you bring out the meaning, exegete, to bring out the meaning of the text, than to eisegete the passage, which means to read into the text. If you want to prove over here that Mary had no other children, you're going to read that a certain way. But if you just read the text, the point is clear. Your mother and your brothers are outside. All right, well, who's my mother and brothers? You are. Very clear. Making a clear contrast between the biological family, his half-brothers and sisters, his mom, but what really matters is the family that's connected to Jesus through the gospel. That's what he's teaching and preaching about the gospel. He's a very busy man. He's not disrespecting his family by making them wait. But he does so because why? He's on mission. He's not being distracted. He has a purpose and a place and a plan, and he has a goal, and that is the mission of the Father. Maybe they were concerned about his hectic schedule. 
Maybe they're concerned about something going on in the family. He's the eldest of the brothers. Honestly, we don't know. But I think it's safe to say that Jesus recognizes the claims of family, but Jesus refused to be distracted from the preaching of the word of God. So without disowning his mother, disrespecting his family, saying anything derogatory about him, he puts things into proper perspective. Family, the supremely important thing for him to do was the will of his Father in heaven. And at that moment, while he was teaching and preaching of the gospel, the demands of his family on earth took back seat to that which was God's will, his Father's will and plan in the moment. Jesus was 12 years old. You remember the story? Mary and Joseph leave him at the temple, head home, day journey. So they're like, where is Jesus? We lost God. Where did he go? It's not good, really. I mean, he did tell us. Keep an eye on him. They turn around, head back. Where do they find Jesus? At the temple, teaching. Like, son, what are you doing? Jesus said, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's what? House. Listen, obedience of the disciple of Christ to the word of God actually creates in a follower of Jesus a higher loyalty than our closest relatives. That's what this teaches. Do you know what else importantly that this teaches? What's important about this text as well? It teaches us a great doctrine called adoption. Okay? Adoption. Even Jesus' own brothers, sisters, and mother needed to be adopted into the family of God. Think about that for a minute. They're all by nature children of wrath and children of darkness. Every child of God comes into the family of God through adoption. It's not natural birth, but spiritual birth. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are all by nature children of wrath. And then Paul writes in Romans that we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we received the spirit of adoption that we cry out, Abba, Father. Adoption is the gracious act of God where he, he takes sinners and rebellion, rebellious, rebellious people, forgives them and justifies them and makes them his beloved children. John 1. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, interesting, Jesus is in Gethsemane, if you remember the story, he's praying, and he says what? Abba, Father. Same verb, same word. What that teaches us is In adopting us, God gives us the spirit of his son and grants us to know and to feel the affections like Jesus, our brother, that we belong to the family of God. Listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one on their own can make their way by any merit or anything they do to come into the family of God. We are, our sin has alienated us from him. But God, the perfect sovereign creator, the eternal father, sent his only begotten son into the world, Jesus Christ, who gave up his life, bearing his father's wrath as he suffered and died on the cross as our substitute. And this horrendous act of of crucifixion accomplished that which was imaginable, unthinkable. He atones for our sins, justifies sinners, grants us new birth, and welcomes us into the family of God. Could there be any greater news than adoption? 
We live in a world where people are longing for a home, a place at the table. God the Father through the Son gives us that. By his Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. He gives us a new name. Listen, to be adopted means to receive God's name, to have access to God's throne, to access to his protection, his provision, his loving discipline, his promise never, ever, ever to leave us. And maybe there's some that have been adopted that wonder, is this real? Is this going to be forever? Will my home be forever? But when it comes to the Father, God the Father's adoption of his people, there's no doubt, there's no uncertainty. He is the forever Father. His, his will as the sovereign king, creator, all-powerful God is to justify sinners, to bring them into his family. Listen, that's the eternal plan and exhaustible love of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons, Galatians 4. One of the themes and great themes and hopes is to be a child of God. That's why Christians love foster care. That's why we serve uh, uh, justice for orphans. Sandra Flack and her ministry there, she serves foster care as an adoption because it's demonstrating the gospel that God takes us rebellious peoples and brings us into his family and we share in his name. We're called followers and we're called Christians. We get blessings and provision and by grace we have the rights and responsibility that all the children of God have. That's adoption. And because we're adopted into the family of God, we are what? Brothers and sisters, we see that in the text. And you're thinking, you know what? I don't know, man. This person drives me crazy. I'm a little nuts around that person. They bug me. Drive me crazy. Well, welcome to family. That's what family does. But you love your family. You serve your family. And the family here, according to the text, does three things. Let our light shine. Listen and heed the word of God and live a life of obedience. It's not just saying that we belong to God's family, but we live it out showing forth that we are his children, living obediently to the word of God, doing what God wants us to do and calls us to do. Jesus says, live as light. Those who hear the word, the ones who, the ones who are hearing the word and take the word in are the ones that the seed has been sown on what? Good soil, and now they're fruitful. And they are to show themselves as light as they listen to the word and as they watch. Live as brothers and sisters and children of God. Kinship with Jesus. If you love me, you'll obey me. Now, the band can come on up as we get ready for communion. I want you to hear this though, okay? Listen to me carefully. Jesus is not saying your obedience plus your faith equals salvation. That's not what he's saying in this text. Obedience is not a matter of rule keeping to gain favor with God, forgiveness of God, acceptance by God. It has to do with faithfulness to the gospel. Okay? Somehow believing that if I just follow his commands, it equals pardon and forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you've been forgiven, if you are the light, if your identity has changed, it's not what you do that determines who you are. It's who you are that determines what you do. How do you know you're an adopted child of God? The light of grace and mercy and love is in you. Jesus would say, you don't just hear what I have to say. You do what I say. You love what I love. You, 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 you live by my word. It's an expression of grace in your life 
thanksgiving, graciousness, kindness, love, and mercy, all that God has done for you in the gospel, our response is letting our light shine, listening to the word, and then following in obedience. That comes from an identity change from children of darkness to children of light, and that is family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They say that blood is thicker than water. Maybe you never heard that, but an Italian family, you hear it all the time. What it usually means is that your biological family is more important than anything. But we're part of the family of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who shed his blood on our behalf. He bound us together by his Holy Spirit for eternity. One body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 says, Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That bond is thicker than any family, biological family. So let me ask you, are you shining a light or are you hiding it? Doing it lovingly, caringly, but shine the light. Are you listening, heeding, taking God's word? Seriously, thinking, allowing it to transform you. Are you adopted into the family of God? Are you showing yourself by your obedience that you belong to him? That's the questions we have. And of course, this table here is, represents the blood of Christ, the body that's been broken, the bread, the broken body, the cup, the shed blood on our behalf. This is how sinners become children of God. Through repentance of sin, acknowledging you're a sinner, acknowledging you can't justify yourself, acknowledging that you'll stand before God with full judgment and wrath that you deserve, but you're turning to Jesus Christ who died in your place, took your judgment, bore your wrath in your place, and you're relying completely and totally on him. No longer are you the Lord of your life, he's Lord of your life. No longer are you the Savior of your life, he's the Savior of your life. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that this morning. And if if you are a follower of Christ, this table's for you. The band's going to lead us with some music. We're going to collect. We're going to come up down the rows. We're going to take the bread, take the cup, sit back, and then I'll lead us through a a communion time together. We'll eat and drink together. Have you trusted Christ? If you had, the table's yours. If you have not, today's the day. You can't save yourself. You're living in darkness. Stop running. God is calling you this moment, this day, to turn. Run to the light. He loves you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll empower you to live a life of glory and obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, this time together. Father, thank you that Jesus is the light of the world and our identity is in him. Father, thank you for your word that you've given to us. Help us to understand it, to heed it, to listen, and to respond to it. And God, thank you that you have called us and given us a new heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that that wants to follow you, that wants to obey you. And there's part of us that does it, Lord. We struggle with sin. All of us do. But Father, we pray that you would refresh our souls, empower us to live a life pleasing you, a life that shows forth that we're your children. Father, recognizing that is by grace and grace alone. So help us, Lord, to repent well as we take of this bread and drink of the cup, remembering and celebrating the work of Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen.